welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to welcome back to the show. Linda Salant is a returning guest on our show. Linda, who is known as the Carnitarian on Instagram, has been on a carnivore diet for over six years now. The diet has helped resolve a wide range of health issues, such as amenorrhea, PCOS, anxiety, migraines, edema, and body aches. She has been sharing her wisdom in the keto and low-carbohydrate community and on social media on Instagram. And you can check out her story on episode 120 of our show, Boundless Body Radio. Linda, welcome back to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks for having me back, Casey. It's It's always great to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. I thought our last episode was amazing. You had such a really great story and was really fun to talk to, and I couldn't wait to invite you back. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed that episode, too. I feel like there was a lot of great information. Um, we, you know, there was just a lot of great topics that we talked about. I'm really proud of that episode. Good. Thank you for having me for that. Oh, that's great. That makes me really happy. That's always our goal to have our guests feel like they were, you know, heard and we're very proud to share the episode around. You told us a little bit about ballroom dancing. Do you have any ballroom updates for us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am still uh, ballroom dancing. That's the update. No, everything is going very well. Um, no changes there. Gotcha. Any events, <laughs> no events coming up or anything? Nothing coming up. There is there is an event coming up, but I won't be joining in. I'll be away, but um, nothing on the horizon for me. Gotcha. I actually had one more question about that that I wanted to answer. Is there any kind of um, like cross-training or other activity that really helps you with your ballroom dancing? You know, this is funny because this is something that I've asked my instructors, like, what should I be doing on the side? You know, what are the exercises I should be doing in the gym? And I've asked that question to several different instructors over the years. They all give me the same answer. They say, no, no, you just come here and practice more. Wow. That's what you need to do. Wow. They said, there's there's no substitute for ballroom training um, that you can do in the gym. You have to do it in the dance studio because I don't know the dynamics of the, the movement. Um, there's... There's no point in doing any of these, you know, say, well, you want a strong back, you should do lat pull downs. I said, should I be doing that? You know, they say, nope, just come into the studio and hold your frame. That will get your back strong. So, wow. That is so interesting. I actually don't really disagree with that. I mean, I spent a lot of my career doing what we call functional training. And this was like the only way I learned how to be a trainer. You have to do it this way. There's no other way. And basically it's like you go into the gym and everything you do in the gym mimics whatever your activity is. So if you play basketball, you have like a heavy medicine ball and you maybe throw it around or maybe jump on to boxes, you know, like, you know, similar to what a basketball player would do. But I was introduced to this concept by Dr. Doug McGuff that said like those none of those activities are actually basketball. The only thing that's basketball is basketball. And his idea is go to the gym, use some really simple and basic lifts to help keep you strong, help keep your bones healthy and your connective tissue good, and then go spend the rest of your time actually doing whatever activity you do. And I don't, I don't think he's that wrong about it. I think it's a really interesting idea and, and they might not be wrong by telling you to, you know, just dance a lot. Right. I agree. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. If you want to be a better runner, practice running. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever it is. Uh, That's, yeah, that's a great point. Okay. So I was so excited to invite you back on because we both have experience as carnivore coaches. So, you know, we have special certifications that people can hire us from time to time to help them out um, with their coaching. And 
Yes. We have a bit of experience with doing that. And I just thought it would be really fun to have a conversation, not really me like asking you all the questions or vice versa, but us asking each other some questions of what people would normally ask a coach when they're first getting started with carnivore or things that would come up along the way. So I thought it might be fun if we just go back and forth and ask each other a few questions and maybe a few stories of, of times that you've had to deal with those specific things and just kind of have a little chat. I would love it. I think that would be very helpful. That's great. Well, I will start then. I will ask you. This is a big one. I think a lot of people come to keto, low-carbohydrate, carnivore diet for a specific reason. And generally speaking, in the beginning, that reason is people want to, they'll say they want to lose weight. Really, they probably want to lose fat and keep their muscle and bone density and things like that. But most of the time, they come from weight loss. So I want to know, like, how how do you tell somebody how much they need to be eating to be able to lose weight and to lose fat? Right. So I get this question a lot. How much should I eat, right, to lose weight? And it's it's uh it's gonna vary wildly, you know, per person. This really is going to depend on the person's background, right? It's gonna depend on their metabolic state, it's gonna depend on their current fitness level, you know, how much dieting they've done in the past. And like you said, you know, what their muscle mass is, what their um, workout routines are like and their activity is like. So when people say, you know, how much should I eat? Typically they're trying to get an answer like, is it a pound and a half of meat? Is it two pounds of meat? And I can't give that answer. Because, you know, first of all, the composition of the meat uh, makes a huge difference calorie-wise. If you're talking about a pound of ribeye versus a pound of uh, tenderloin, you're talking about two totally different um calorie amounts. So the weight may be the same. Um, the calories are going to be very different. So to say how much in terms of weight, you know, I really can't. And then to say how many calories should I eat is, you know, like I said, it's going to be based on people's backgrounds. A lot of people um, actually come to me and they think they need to lose weight and they really don't need to lose weight. Like you said, they want to just lose fat. And they're actually at a very appropriate weight. Um, maybe they believe that they could be smaller. They should be lighter because of somebody or some people that they've seen online. But a lot of times people are already at a pretty good weight. Um, and they just really want to do a little bit of recomp. Mm. Um, for the people who are extremely overweight, who have a lot of weight to lose, I mean, they have obviously a lot of weight to lose, um, you know, just switching to a low carbohydrate diet, getting off a standard American diet, cutting out processed foods and sugars is going to give you a more nutritious diet. And that's going to lend itself to fat loss in the end. So when I get that question, I hate to give, you know, amounts. And people sometimes are looking for me to give them their macros. I don't like to do that um, because everybody's sort of different. There is a a macro calculator that I like, and if it's okay to mention, I'll of course. I'll mention I love the keto gains calculator just because the guys over there are, you know, heavy into muscle gain and they don't skimp on protein. So I like the keto gains calculator for people. Um, people can go to that website and they can sort of estimate their body fat based on some really great pictures that they put up of both men and women and say, well, I kind of look like that lady. I kind of look like that man. I probably have this amount of body fat. You don't have to know your percentages in order to get a, 
pretty good idea of how many calories a day you should be eating. Mm. So I like that calculator. Um, if people want to get their macros, they can go there. Um, and then, you know, give it a shot and see if you, if you are eating a certain amount of food and you're not getting results, maybe take your calories down a little bit, take your fat down a little bit and see how it goes. Yeah. Interesting. I really like that. I'm so glad you mentioned keto gains. They do such great work. Um, I've used their calculator before as well. It's really nice. It's also interesting that you mentioned dieting. I think that's really important. I, for most of my career, I was using a metabolic cart to measure people's metabolism. And so in the beginning, this is like 2007, I had no idea what low carb was at the time. We would say, okay, you're you came in to do this test. We hooked you up to a mask that, that fed your breath into an analyzer, into a computer that tells me that your resting metabolic rate is 1,800 calories. Okay, now you're moving around. You're burning more calories. Now you add a 500-calorie workout in. So now you're burning 2,800 calories a day. So all you need to do is eat 2,300 calories which is 500 calories less than what you're burning every single day, 500 calories times seven days, one week is one pound. Therefore, you will lose one pound a week every single week until you get to your target weight. And that's the way we would right. use it. And then we would just sit around and say like, wow, these people really suck at tracking because nobody's getting very good results. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Right. It's like crazy. it's a guarantee, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And most people, like if they've done diets, they are used to things being very complicated. They know they have to download a calorie tracker. They know they have to, you know, measure the calories that they're burning on a treadmill every single day. Like it, it dieting by the nature of it is just so complicated that people feel like if they're not tracking everything all the time, that they're not going to get really great results. And I think for a dieter, it's almost more of a mindset shift. Like you have to really like give yourself permission to not need to track, see how, how it goes. Like you said, um, and, and yeah, kind of leave all the more complicated stuff in the past. I totally agree. Right. It doesn't have to be that complicated. And you know, that's the thing. Sometimes people get wrapped up in like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to try so hard. I'm going to measure all the things. Um, but, but you don't need to do that. You just kind of need to eat well, um, you know, low carb, keto, carnivore, what all, you know, the good things. Um, and you may reach your goals and without all that frustration. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Last night we made a sirloin, which is a pretty low fat, ratio and a lot of protein. And I ate this really yummy, like Brazilian steakhouse, um, sirloin, so delicious. But I just, just now that I've done this for a while, I could tell as I was eating it, like, wow, I'm going to be hungry in probably like two hours because there's not enough fat on here to keep me satiated. Mm. And I would not have been able to determine that until I had a little bit more experience with the diet. Yeah, it's true. You learn a lot with the, with experience and over time, you really do learn a lot. And so it's, it's hard for me to say to people, you know, you should be having this number of calories of fat or this number of calories of protein because everybody is going to feel a little bit different in their, in terms of their satiety with those macronutrients. Um, you know, starting out, some people may need a higher percentage of fat. And then, um, you know, as, as time goes by, you may need a little bit less fat or vice versa. So it varies. It's going to vary. And awesome. it will change over time for the same person. Yeah, that's another great thing to keep in mind. What works today might not be the same tomorrow or next week, or next month. Right. Mm, that's awesome. Great answer. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's a question for you, Casey. Okay. Um, you must get this a lot. Do I have to eat nose to tail? Do I need to eat those organ meats? Mm. 
in order to be a carnivore. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we both get this one all the time. Uh, two, okay, so I'll, my first answer is I don't know. My second answer is I could never tell the periods of time when I was eating more organ meats than when I was eating less. And I, I, I could never... I could never tell from any of my clients. Some people said if they included liver in their diet that they felt a little bit better. Most people just were pretty neutral about it. Are they required? I am in the camp that says they are absolutely not required to be included in a healthy diet, including a carnivore diet. I don't think most people eat them anyway. I sure wish I had been brought up on them. Um, I wish I had the taste for them and I, I don't, I wish I had the taste for sardines <laughs> and I don't. Um, and some of those things I try to push through and other times I just think, you know what, I'm just going to keep eating the things that I like ground beef, a steak, um, chicken every now and again, um, just the things that I really enjoy and the things that I'm craving that day. So if, if, if they're required, I, I don't know that they're required and I've never seen it make a difference at all. So that would be my answer. I'd be very curious to hear what you think. My answer is very similar. Actually, I think they're absolutely not required. I think if you love organ meats, um, eat them. I don't think they're going to do you any harm. Um, and I think that nobody's going to take your carnivore card away from you if you don't eat organ meats. Um, I think that, you know, you may feel better with a bit of liver. You may feel worse with a bit of liver. Mm. So everybody sort of needs to test this out for themselves. Um, but you, I, I agree with you. You don't, you don't need to eat organ meats. There are plenty of people who do very well on a carnivore diet and they recover all of their health, mental health, physical health, um, just by eating, um, beef, bacon, uh, cheese, eggs, fish, you know? Yeah. So, um, I don't think it's required either. Have, have you ever experienced, or I'm sorry, experimented with organ meats in your diet? Well, I do like liver. I do. And so I was for a long time making pate quite a bit and I've just been lazy about it. So I haven't been making pate much, but I love it. I think it tastes delicious. I sort of grew up with chopped liver, so it's not a strange taste to me. Um, if ever I'm in a restaurant and they are serving liver, like it's on the menu, I'm going to order it because it is something that I, I like to eat. And honestly, to cook it in the house, it's kind of smelly, like it doesn't make the house smell great. <laughs> so if I'm out and it's on the menu, you know I'm going to order that. Um, does it make me feel fantastic? I don't I don't think so. I mean, I don't think it makes me feel like Wonder Woman or anything. Um, I, like I said, I, I don't think it's harmful. Um, I think it's fine either way. Mm, you know? I, yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah, I, I had a period of time where I was doing desiccated liver pills as a supplement um, and again, I did it for maybe a month or two and I didn't notice a difference one way or the other. I had a period of time when I was chopping up liver into small pieces and kind of freezing them for several days. And then I would eat them almost like a pill in the morning kind yeah. of. Um, and again, I just never really noticed one way or the other. I like the restaurant recommendation. We just went to a Brazilian steakhouse and I used to live in Brazil for a few years and I acquired the taste for chicken hearts. So mm. freaking good. I will eat them by the dozens, a <laughs> little bit of squeezed lime on there. And, and luckily this I restaurant is great. authentic enough that they had them and I ate a ton of them and they were delicious. So <laughs> that's a good recommendation and it didn't have to sneak up my house. Good for you. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, there, there are some, you know, awful cuts, uh, that, that I enjoy, you know, Tongue, heart, liver. Um, trying to think of if there's any others. I mean, I, 
I enjoy beef suet. I don't know if that, if people, that's not an organ. Well, I guess fat sort of is an organ, but um, you know, it's sort of like the off bits that generally people won't eat. I've never tried kidney. I heard that can be kind of very smelly. Yeah, but, that too. Yeah, but you know. Not required. <laughs> not required. Love it. Awesome. Okay, next question for you. How can I possibly eat more than I think I'm used to without gaining weight? And I want to kind of tie this back to maybe like the dieter. One of the one of the very difficult things also about dieting is you are you're not used to being satiated. You're just used to being hungry all the time. And I think it freaks people out a little bit when we give them permission to just eat until they're fully, fully satiated. They're going to say like, whoa, I can't eat that many calories. I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to gain fat. So what would be your answer to that? Yeah, absolutely. People get freaked out. They say, well, I've had, I've had some people say to me, well, I'm already eating a pound of meat. I can't possibly stuff down any more than that. That's so gluttonous. Like, how can I possibly eat more? You know, I've worked so hard to get where I am. And, you know, I know I'm not feeling great. My health is no good. I know I need to make a switch, but I can't possibly be, I can't possibly eat more. I'm going to gain weight. And this is, this is the chronic dieter. Like this is the woman, typically a woman who has been told her whole life that she needs to restrict. These people have messed up signaling and they live in this state of chronic malnutrition, malnourishment, and they don't necessarily realize it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that they have a depressed metabolism. And if you want to live that way forever, you're going to end up malnourished, not very happy. I mean, I think that's kind of a cranky life to be surviving oh, on totally. 900 calories or so a day. I mean, I've heard stories of even less. So what you want to do um, is just sort of accept that you may gain a little weight when you're nourishing yourself but you don't have to live life in perpetuity on 900 calories. You can slowly increase, and I'm no expert on reverse dieting, but you can slowly increase your calories over time and understand that if you gain some weight, take it as a point of healing that the nutrients that you're gaining now are going to sort of stock you up your nutrient stores give you the muscle mass that maybe you're lacking, add maybe to some bone density that's so important as we age. Um, and then just, you know, be okay with gaining a little bit of weight and know that you can get there over time. You can improve your metabolism over time. And it's not going to make you an obese person to eat an appropriate amount of calories. Like you said, if that, if you, if you want to do, you know, 1800 calories, get work, your know, way up to 2,500 calories a day, kind of a thing, depending on your activity level, those are absolutely appropriate. Uh, nobody should be eating 900 calories a day, you know? Yeah. Agreed. I could see that person like even before I hooked them up to these metabolic carts, I could see that person from a hundred feet away and could totally tell exactly what their metabolic state was. The lady that you're describing is cold. She is moody. Like you said, she's very hungry, mm -hmm. probably some type of autoimmune, probably some type of bone condition developing, um, maybe chronic, um, over exerciser, especially with things like cardio, you can see it a mile away, but you're right. Like there is, yes. there are strategies and like reverse diets that you can do. You can increase the amount of calories and have your body to get used to it and then just burn more calories all the time, or maybe use more calories to keep your bones strong, fix up your connective tissue, 
build some muscle. Like those are really good, healthy things that are going to serve you for the rest of your life. So yeah, I'd, I'd love that answer. I think that's great. I also think yeah, going thanks. back to the dieter and the, the, the mental shift, most people don't take into account what you're going to eat after that meal. So if I'm looking at a big plate of steak and eggs, I'm going to say like, whoa, like, oh, that's so many calories. That's so much fat. Like I can't do that. But then like you, you don't realize at the time you just eliminated how many meals and snacks after that, because you're just so satiated and you can go off and enjoy your life. Like go do something fun, go on a hike or paddleboard or something. If you're not living mm -hmm. in a hungry state all the time, you're not eating all the time. That's so different. It, it is very different. I mean, there's so much truth to that. When I was eating standard American diet, I was eating constantly. It was like snacks constantly. I mean, we, we all know this, right? You walk up to anybody's desk, you go up to a receptionist's desk, and there's always snacks on the desk. Um, people are just sat at their desk eating all day um, because they're not ever satiated. They're not giving themselves the nutrients they need in those, you know, in those meals. Um, yeah. Do you remember, do you remember the time when it, it like almost stunned you that you'd like, it didn't, it didn't affect you anymore. Like you would be, you know, around those snacks, at the reception or at a party or something. And you, you realize that you didn't think about it. You didn't care about it anymore. You know, that's funny. I don't know when that shift happened, <laughs> but it's absolutely happened. I like to me, you know, going through an airport and seeing what's on sale at like, you know, in the snack news stand store, you know, kind of place like this, there's no food in here. You know, this is what people are eating or, you know, just being in the supermarket and you realize like none of this is even food. Like what is this? <laughs> this is, this is insanity. All of the packaged things that people are putting in their mouths that is just not even food. I tell people all the time, like my one, and maybe I've mentioned this to you before, but if you ever really want to get off of pasta, you have to just think of it as literally ground up bird food. Like it's seed paste, wow. ground up, mixed with water, extruded in a machine, dried out. And then we we take that dried up seed paste and we rehydrate it in boiling water. And we put some sauce on it and we call it a meal. But that's just like bird food that's mushed up seed paste that's Ugh. been extruded. It's not real food. I to to look at somebody drinking a Coke, I shudder. I go, oh my God. What is going <laughs> I on? Yeah, like, I can't believe people are. It's like watching somebody smoke. You know, you drive up and you pull up next to a car and there's somebody in there with the windows rolled up and they're smoking a cigarette. And you're like, really? Did you not get the memo on this? <laughs> like, do you, I feel that way when I see people eating, you know, packaged candies and things. I'm like, how have you not got the memo on this? But a lot of people got sucked in young or they just, you know, they can't accept that food does not equal fun, you know. Sure. It's, it's, and they it's can't, interesting. Yeah. They can't even imagine a world where they wouldn't crave those things. And what you and I are talking about is not like we're forcing ourselves to eat only certain things and never eat other things. It's just like the, you just lose the desire. It's very different. It's very different than trying to restrict yourself. It is. It is totally different. I mean, when you start viewing food as nutrition rather than food as, you know, variety or, you know, fun or comfort, um, I mean, Food can provide those things for me, but that's not really what they mean. It's like you you start getting those nutritious foods in and then you start feeling better and you start realizing, oh, maybe it's because I'm not 
addicted to food anymore. You know, I've gotten rid of the things that caused me these cravings. I'm feeling so great and I don't need to go back. Yeah. And then, then that, that switch has been flipped. And then you realize that you don't need to go back and it's not real food. Yep. Yep. That's right. Well said. Love it. Great answer. So we were talking about calories. I'm going to ask you a question I get a lot. Should I track my calories and should I track my macros? Mm. Great question. Okay. So I, I have a client, he was a former type two diabetic. Um, we started working together nutritionally. He ended up following the advice, um, and got off of insulin like very quickly and was losing weight at a, at a very high rate. We were validating everything with a body fat machine. We knew that he was losing fat. He was maintaining muscle mass, really just flying. Like he was doing very, very well. Um, you know, the shutdown happened. We started working together in a different way. He started going back to his physical trainer who really wanted to make sure that he was eating enough calories and eating enough fats, or I'm sorry, not fats, but protein. He's really big on protein. And ever since then, I can see in him that he is so focused on these numbers. His trainer gets after him if he doesn't get enough protein in a certain day. And he is more or less plateaued at this point. And he still has weight to lose and he could still progress further. And, you know, we did our coaching last week and that was one thing I said to him. I'm like, look, like, I, I'm not trying to disagree with your trainer. I know him personally. I really love that guy. He's he's one of my really good friends. We don't necessarily agree on the method of, you know, training or how we track things, but that's okay. Like, you know, try it the one way. I'm just, all I'm saying is when you did it this way without tracking, you were losing a lot of fat. And now that you are tracking everything, you, you are not losing a lot of fat and you feel bad all the time about not hitting certain numbers. So I think it can be useful I wish more people would try without it. I, I just, I'm, I'm somebody, you know, I've used a lot of devices in my life and a lot of things to track and they're, they're fun and interesting and heart rate variability and, you know, sleep tracking and all this stuff. And it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool to give some awareness to those things. But at the end of the day, like, I love the idea of like, how do you feel? Do you feel good? Are you happy? Um, do these practices contribute to your life or did they take it away? And I think for most people tracking in general is just, I, I, I'm not a huge fan. I think if you can develop a sense of when you feel really satiated and full and then pay attention to how you feel to kind of guide you as far as how much fat, how much protein you need to be getting. Um, if you start to feel flat, you probably need a little bit more fat in my opinion. Um, I, I, I wish people would go that route. Keep it more simple, make food less of a thing and go pick up a new hobby or read a book or go on a walk and stare at some birds. You know what I mean? I love that. Right. Use it as, use it as a way to sort of, you know, know where you fall. And then you can, I like to say, I like to say to people track, but track after the fact, if you're going to track and only do it for a couple of days, just to see, like in the beginning, if I'm coaching someone, I'll say, you know, I would love to know your typical day. Um, can you do me a favor, go back, think about the couple days past, what your typical meals would be, and we see where you fall, so that we can really have an honest discussion about whether or not you're under eating or overeating, right? And then get away from tracking. I find that it can be, like you said, with your client, kind of depressing for people when they don't hit their targets, right? They're like, "Oh, but my calculator said that I was, you know, a few grams over on fat," and they get sad about it, or they're a couple of calories over and they get sad about it or they didn't hit their protein target and they're sad about it. That's no way to live. Yeah. So I'm with you. I feel like it's 
great information to use as a basis, you know, for getting on with your life. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I've ever heard that advice given. Um, interesting to track after the fact, so then it's not so immediate and you're not down on yourself. You're tracking something that you've already done is already in the past, so you can kind of move away from it. And yeah, that would be an interesting way to approach it because then you'd get all the same information and can course correct that way. Um, right. It's funny you mentioned that question. I use that question as well with people and 100% of the time get the same answer every time, which is, well, yesterday was different. Like it can't <laughs> be 100% different for everybody every time I ask that question anytime. Like, come on. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. That's that's just, you know, people are just so inconsistent, I think, because and when they're when they finally get to the point where they are like, you know what, I need a coach, it's because they've just been flopping around on the shore. You know, they're just kind of like, I tried this for a day, I tried that for a week, I tried this for a month, I tried, you know, I tried, and they're they don't have a good direction. I feel like when people say that to me, you know, well, this day was different, it's because they're just kind of floundering around. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's great. So yeah, I, I think we're both on the same page as far as that goes. I just, I, I wish people wouldn't do it unless you can give me a really good reason why you should. That's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, since weight loss is such a big thing, I've got another weight loss question for you. How long does it take most people to lose weight? Because I think I noticed that a lot of people start experiencing the benefits um, of eating this certain way very quickly. I, I don't think it takes a long time. And I think those are good signposts to show people that they're on the right track, but they they really are so after that number on the scale that they get frustrated and maybe give up a little bit too soon, even though they saw benefits in other areas. So in your experience, how long does it take for somebody to um, lose weight eating this way? Right. So I've had people um, start losing weight right away. They come from a standard American diet. They are used to eating, you know, croissants in the morning and, you know, they're having a pizza for dinner and they switch their diet to a keto or a carnivore diet, they start dropping weight right away. These are not the chronic dieters. These are just people who have some weight to lose. They can start losing weight right away. Um, but this is not, you know, I, I want to say that that that's very common, but it's not that that is everybody, right? So some people um, will gain some weight at the start, like I said, and some people won't lose weight that they're looking to lose for, you know, maybe six months because they've got some healing to do before they start losing weight. Also, like we talked about before, you may not see a shift in weight, but you will see a shift in maybe the way your clothes are fitting. Um, and you've done that, you know, body recomposition work, which in my opinion is far more important than the weight on a scale, right? Like weight is like how much you're affected by gravity. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> it's a sort of a silly measure, right? For, for what's going on inside your body. So in terms of how long um, is it going to take me, it definitely varies depending on the health status of this person. Um, if they have been a yo-yo dieter, it's sometimes harder for them to lose weight. If somebody's coming from a keto background already, it's also sometimes harder for them to lose weight because what they would have lost at the start, you know, like that initial swoosh, that whoosh of like, you know, uh, water weight that goes down with keto is already gone. Now you've really got to dig into, you know, what's, what's left to get a little bit more of that, the fat loss. So 
it depends on, you know, the, the diet that you're coming from. Mm. But typically people who have a lot of weight to lose are going to see weight loss within a few months. You know, they're going to see some fat go down just, just based on that a ketogenic diet is going to do that for you. It's going to reduce your insulin. It's going to allow you to burn your own fat stores. Um, so you're going to see a weight shift. Mm. Okay. So I've got another question for you. You mentioned the clothes fitting, which I love. I love focusing on that. Are there any other metrics or things that you tell people to kind of reframe the conversation away from the scale and onto something different? Well, I do definitely tell people to go by how they feel, like how's their mental state? I mean, a lot of people come to me with anxiety, depression, and if that is improving, stay the course. Like if if you're not losing weight, but you're mentally feeling so much better, stay the course and things will sort themselves out. Um, you know, and don't don't get frustrated by a lack of weight loss if you're feeling better. There are other metrics. I mean, you can take measurements, you can take a tape measure, you can do your um, you know, uh waist measurement. People say that this is a very good measure of metabolic health because it will show, you know, the fat around your middle, which is the un unhealthy fat. Um, if that gets lower, that's a good sign. Even if your weight isn't reducing, um, your waistline is reducing, that's a good sign. You can, you know, go crazy with it and get a DEXA scan. Um, and you can really see how your body composition is changing, even when your weight goes up. Um, so that may surprise some people that you can gain weight and be in a better state metabolically, you know, even when you're starting from a place that's not underweight. Like we all look at people who are underweight and say, yeah, you know, they would benefit from gaining some weight. But your average person um, who is of average weight, you know, average healthy body fat percentage um, may gain some weight when they increase their protein, they may start doing some resistance training they, you know, switch to a low carbohydrate diet, they may gain some weight and be upset about it, but they're looking awesome. You know, they've basically increased their muscle mass and you can see that kind of a thing on a DEXA scan. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love going by feel. I love the waist to hip ratio kind of thing, or like a waist to height ratio. The problem there is just, it's so cost prohibitive. I, I don't know if many people can go out and buy a piece of string that won't. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a tough one. <laughs> I just think those low cost methods are just so easy. Like I'll, I'll tell people just, just take a before picture. Don't show anybody, just put it on your phone, take a picture, you know, front, maybe side, and just compare it to a picture like a month or two later, you'll be shocked. Whatever the scale says, who cares? Like you'll be shocked the difference between those two things. So yes, those are it's easy. incredible. That's, yeah. that's such great advice. Taking the picture is such great advice. And you know, it's very helpful if you take those pictures to see. And I'll tell you what, you know, you know that I've been doing this high protein experiment and I have dropped like maybe a pound, one pound, but the difference in what I'm looking like is significant. It's, it's absolutely significant. And if I were going by the scale, I would be so frustrated because nothing has changed. Yeah. Um, but it's there, but it's not about the scale. It's not about the weight. Mm, I love that. Great answer. So let's see, Casey, tell me, um, you're a trainer, so you get this a lot. I know you do. What are the best forms of exercise to go with this diet? Being mm. a carnivore, being a carnivore, do I have to be in the gym? Do I have to be lifting heavy? You know, this is, this is 
a man's diet. Maybe people are thinking, oh, it's so meat heavy. People who are into this, they must just be lifting heavy weights. Everybody's doing deadlifts, right? Yes. What, kind of, <laughs> what are the best forms of exercise to go along with this? Everybody has to go join a gym. They need to work out six days a week, CrossFit style until their shoulders go <laughs> and their knees are toast. Like, uh, yeah, I do. I love this question. Um, <clears throat> My answers changed over the years. I used to think that I loved working out and I absolutely do not like working out. I don't know what made me ever think that. I like to paddleboard. I like to play ice hockey. I like to ride my road bike or my mountain bike. Those are the things that I enjoy. And I put the enjoyment as the higher priority. Like if you told me that those things were really bad for me and that, you know, I suck at hockey and somebody's going to clobber me while I'm riding my, my road bike, like I would still do them because I enjoy them. I, I really like those activities. Um, I don't like spending a ton of time in the gym. In fact, I haven't set foot inside a gym in, in a year and a half at this point. Um, it's really amazing how creative you can be even with household objects or my favorite workouts are just in the neighborhood and I'll come up to a park and maybe I want to hang for 30 seconds and maybe I want to do a few pull-ups or maybe I want to do a few push-ups or I want to lift up a rock by the lake or something, carry it around. Like I enjoy those things. The good news about that kind of style is I don't believe that needs to be done very frequently to be very effective. And so my total time of lifting weights in a week, I, it, there's no chance it's more than 20 minutes in the entire week total. And what I'll do awesome. is just when I'm doing a lift, I'll just do whatever I feel like, but I will move really slowly so I don't get injured. And then I will push myself to a point that is like really, really close to failure. And what that does inside the body, again, this comes from Body by Science by Dr. Uh, Doug McGuff, where I learned these principles, is it sends a signal to the body that if you push yourself to that deep level of fatigue, that the, the, the body knows that it's not strong enough for what it needs to do. Therefore, it needs to shuttle expensive resources over to increasing muscle, increasing strength, increasing bone density, increasing, you know, the strength of your connective tissue, um, tendons and ligaments and things like that. And so, they, but again, the catch is you don't need to do that very frequently. That signal is enough to maintain muscle. And I've certainly found that to be true. We have very simple setups with very minimal equipment. I mean, a, a workout I did with one of my clients this morning was with a, a, a TRX straps. We had a resistance band and we had monkey bars in a park outside in the sun. It was glorious. It was great. We had an hour long workout. He really loved it. He felt like he was pushed. We didn't use any of the same equipment we used to use when we were at the gym and we had a great time. And I think, I think people can make that very, very easy on themselves. Um, as far as cardio goes. I get a lot of questions about like strength training versus cardio. I don't have any real, um, I don't see any benefit from people doing chronic every single day, kind of mid intensity cardio. Think like I joined a gym, it's January 2nd on a Monday. So I'm going to the gym mm -hmm. and I'm going to run on this treadmill as hard as I can for 45 minutes and until this calorie tracker says I burned 600 calories, then I'm going to leave. I think that is the least helpful thing that somebody could do. The thing that I want most people to do if they did nothing else is walk, get outside, walk around. If 
you're 600 pounds, see if you can walk to the mailbox. If you're in better shape, see if you can get at least 10,000 steps a day in. I, there's not many days that I get less than 20,000 steps a day walking around my neighborhood. That's where I do my, you know, blog post writing and create content for these podcasts and things like that. And so I, I, those two things I think are the most valuable, infrequent, but challenging strength training done safely and walking at low cardio, and then use the rest of the time to just do whatever you enjoy. Go ballroom dance. That's great. Right. I love that advice. I think, you know, similarly, I, I would say do the exercise that you enjoy doing. And I completely agree with you that cardio is just counterproductive. I feel like, oh, I've been there. Like I've been that, you know, cardio queen where I'm like, okay, I need to get in shape. I'm going to start incorporating half hour treadmill runs. It's torture. And it's, it just makes me hungry. And then you just eat back those calories. It's so, it seems so counterproductive. Um, if you don't enjoy treadmill running, I just see no benefit in that. But I love the workouts to failure, I think is like you said, it's such a great muscle building concept. That's the way it has to be done is, you know, puttering around with two pound weights, you know, and doing a few movements isn't really going to, you're not going to grow, right? So you have to sort of be intent with it if your plan is to grow muscle. I like, I like your take on that. Yeah. I mean, think about that person with the two pound weights, what the, the signal you send to the body is okay. Every, all the strength you needed to accomplish that we already have. So we don't need to build more muscle or more connective tissue or anything else. So yeah, that's, that's great. Did you know, um, this fact that a treadmill literally was invented for torture? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, but I'm feel I feel it in my heart that that's got to be true. I'm not. I don't. I've never enjoyed treadmill running ever. Awful. I can't stand that. Yeah, it's awful. It it's absolutely awful. <laughs> okay, this one I get all the time. Um, bulletproof coffee, butter coffee, keto coffee, cream coffee, any high fat version of coffee. I want to do a carnivore diet. I love coffee. You're telling me I have to eat animals and not any plants. So there goes my coffee and there goes all the fat of my coffee. What do you think about bulletproof coffee or any style that's kind of coffee in that direction on a carnivore diet? Right. This is a very frequent question. Do I have to give that up? Um, you don't have to give it up. You don't have to do anything. Okay. So there's two things going on here for people. There is the, well, maybe there's three things. There's basically what is breakfast, which is giving you some fuel in the morning, which is that butter or that heavy cream or that MCT oil. There's some calories coming in in the morning and that helps people who enjoy eating breakfast. Okay, fine. Um, you can get that in other ways. If you enjoy eating breakfast, you don't have to have oil for breakfast or, um, you know, heavy cream for breakfast. There's also a caffeine addiction going on. And there's, you know, just the love of the experience of the coffee going on. And I would never tell anybody, you've got to, got to get rid of that if you are going to be, you know, card-carrying carnivore. Mm. Um, what I will tell you, though, is that those, in keeping those bulletproof coffees, those butter coffees, the, the, the super creamy coffees in, can stall you if your goal is weight loss. Um Dairy can be very inflammatory for some people. And as soon as they cut dairy, they all of a sudden will lose a few pounds that they've been trying to lose. They realize, oh, that was what I was missing. Mm. It was the dairy I needed to get rid of. So I, I recommend that give up the, the additives in the coffee to start if you can. You know, the caffeine addiction is hard to beat if you can taper down 
do a little half-calf if your goal is to get rid of the coffee completely um, and, and see how that goes. So get rid of the additives. And then if you, if you want to try to get rid of the coffee, get rid of the coffee as well. But you don't necessarily have to. If you're not reaching your goals, that's a place where you're going to want to look and that's a place where you're going to want to cut it. So mm. do the experiment and see if you're you know, inflamed because of it or see if that's the thing that's been putting you over on calories. I mean, there's there can be a ton of hidden calories in those oily coffees. Yeah. So it's yeah. going to make a difference. Gotcha. Um, if you if you can get rid of those. Great point. Yeah, I have kept that in my diet. I fully acknowledge that whether it's the coffee beans or the butter, there's something that doesn't agree with me. Like I, I get pretty mucusy, I guess, um, when I have it in the morning. But I don't care. <laughs> like I like it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's sort of a point of priorities. Like how much do you enjoy that experience? And it's like your best quality of life for you is still having that experience and keeping it. Yep. Yep. I love that. That's great. And I, I totally agree with you as far as, you know, burning the fat on your body versus burning the fat that you just ate. Sometimes you need to reduce the fat that you're eating so you can burn the fat that you already have. Right. Love Absolutely. It. Great answer. All right. So question for you. Um, Cheats versus treats. Um, let's say I am a carnivore. Sure, I've been doing this for three months and I feel like I've been, you know, really, really strict with myself and there's a wedding coming up and it's my cousin's wedding and I haven't seen him in a while and it's a really big family and we always have, you know, big, huge family food feasts. That's what the family is about. Is it okay? Do I have your permission, Casey, to go off plan can I just have a cheat day or, you know, I'm, I'm going on an anniversary trip and I want to have some treats, a few margaritas. Are they going to kill me? What do you think about this? Can I do this? <laughs> yeah, I get this one all the time. Okay. So I, I love the concept of treats versus treat <laughs> treats versus cheats. Hard to say either one. And I, I call them treats. Don't think you're cheating on yourself. It's just a treat. And I would say when you do it, make it count. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily like people having like keto approved ice cream in their freezer all the time versus like, if you want to go eat ice cream, like just go have normal ice cream. What, what things you're going to notice? You're probably not going to feel great afterwards. Your sleep might suffer. You might be really hungry the next day and you might not be used to that if you've been doing carnivore and then just, just weigh weigh those things and decide when is it worth it and when is it not? And I would, I would be more than willing to bet based on my own experience and experience with my clients that over time that the number of times they would choose treats would naturally decrease. I think most people, just like you said earlier about feeling, most people just don't want to feel like crap and are not willing to feel like crap for something that's not worth it. So that would be my answer there. I would say make it occasional, really enjoy it when you have it, slow down and really taste the flavors. You're probably going to think those flavors don't taste as good as you remember them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I would just, I would just let that almost like self-regulate for people. I agree. I think that that is what tends to happen. Like we, like we were saying in the beginning, you just sort of tend to stop seeing those things as food. Like, you know, when I look at somebody having a strawberry margarita, I'm just seeing like inflammation. I'm, I'm, I can feel my own legs swelling watching them, watching them have that. And to me, that's not a treat at all to go on vacation. And then you have these wonderful memories and then they're tainted by how terrible you felt after yep. uh, have, you know, indulging in your treat. 
um, maybe you would treat yourself to something differently next time. And I agree with you over time, those, those wants just change what you're interested in just changes. Yep. I totally agree. We went to Mexico on a trip and all of the food was available. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like buffet style and you can just go up and get whatever you want and all the breads and desserts and all kinds of stuff that we could have chosen. And we just said, you know, on the plane right down there, like, Hey, like it's vacation. Let's just, you know, eat whatever we can just have whatever, like, you know, enjoy all these different things. And there was not one single meal that we really significantly chose to go off of our diet because I, I don't want the next 12 hours of my life to suck. Like I'll have some fruit right. or something that's delicious down there, but to waste it on like a crappy piece of cake or something like, no, not, not worth it. Absolutely agree. Awesome. Um, okay. A, a lot of times people have a tough time adjusting to the convenience of the diet or maybe like the lack thereof. Like if, if they're going to the office, they may or may not necessarily have like this amazing grill that they can cook up their food every single day. So as somebody's getting really busy and they're, you know, they're working all day or maybe watching kids at home, what are some things that they can have maybe on hand that would be really simple kind of snacks that they can go to? Yeah, I love this question because this is the reality, right? People have to work. They can't be home cooking all the time. Um, and maybe they don't have access to a grill at work, right? So they have to pack lunch and it has to be something that is not going to uh, need huge amounts of preparation and they can get on with their day. And it should probably be something that is not going to smell up the office if they try and stick it in the microwave or in the toaster oven or something like that. So what I love to recommend to people is to bring... Uh, cooked hamburger patties. That's always easy. And believe it or not, a cooked hamburger patty is delicious cold. A lot of people are just used to having them hot, but they are delicious cold. My favorite cold meat meal, you know, is <laughs> like a hand witch, um, which is basically just a steak, pick a steak. So if it's a ribeye, it's a ribeye hand witch. If it's a, you know, a sirloin, it's a sirloin hand witch. Basically just cook that steak the night before and then put it in your refrigerator and you eat it with your hand, um, eat it cold. It does not require, meat doesn't require reheating. And it's oftentimes much better if you just eat it cold. So pork chop, chicken breast, any of those things, you can have them cold um, and bring them to work. Dice it up and eat it with a fork. If you want to be a little more civilized, that's fine. <laughs> fine by me. Um, other things are like, you know, you can bring a can of tuna. You can bring a can of chicken and maybe you can stash a jar of mayonnaise or, you know, whatever dressing you want to mix it with, you can stash that in the fridge at work. And that's sort of like a, an, an easy prep thing. You can mix up in a bowl and just eat that at your desk. If you're super busy, um, hard boiled eggs are also a really great thing. Um, you can typically pick them up at the supermarket already hard boiled if you don't want to do it yourself. Um, and just take that to work and eat that it's super easy. So, you know, keeping, yeah, keep carnivore um, on the go, like in, in an office is, is really easy. Yeah. You don't have to be fresh grilling. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I easy as best. I love the eggs. I'll do, um, beef jerky that I cook up, which is really easy and gives me just like pounds of jerky for like a fraction of the cost. If you're buying meat, that's, you know, on sale anyway, really lean. Um, and yeah, those are great go-tos. I think even like sliced deli meat can be a really simple, you know, snack in a pinch doing some like rolled ham or, you know, some, some, whatever meat you like, like so easy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's uh, a great idea. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about what we got to add. What are we, what are we adding to the meats that we're eating? I mean, I get this question all the time. What can I, what can I add to it? Should I add salt? Should, you know, can I add salt? Can I add seasonings? I've got this, you know, uh, one of my clients 
um, lives down south and loves Cajun seasoning. Can, can she still have that Cajun seasoning? Is that allowed? Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of carnivore purists would say no to this one, but this is just small, such small potatoes to me that I I don't really care what people use as long as it makes their food taste good. Um, salt is the go-to. It's funny that some people, you know, call salt a seasoning when really it's a mineral. Those are two different things. And you really need to focus on getting plenty of salt in your day. Most people are using just like a little salt shaker and, you know, little shake here and there. And it's like, no, you need several grams a day of a good quality salt. And outside of that, I think, first of all, I think that makes the meat taste just great on its own. But secondly, if you, if there's other things or blends or tastes that you like, and it helps you stay on the diet, then yeah, go for it. Like totally fine. I I do not worry at all about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sort of with you on this. I would put in the caveat of, you know, look for the cleanest seasonings you can find. So if you've got to have that, you know, Cajun spice, please do try and seek out a spice company that doesn't have like fillers and really weird, unpronounceable things in their spice blends. But as far as like, you know, dried herbs, go for it. Like that's not where we're, that's not where we're failing as a country. (laughs) We haven't added too many seasonings to our food. That's not it at all. (laughs) So yeah, I'm with you on that. And, you know, and absolutely the salt does make the the meat just taste better. I enjoy it. And some people don't use salt at all, but I enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, let's, I mean, quality ingredients, let's give a shout out to select savory seasonings and Corey Conklin. We've had him on the show. They make great seasonings. that don't have filler and crap in them. He made a point and he's absolutely right. Like if you have a good quality seasoning, a little bit goes a really long way. Like we're not restocking on some of the seasonings we bought from him for a very, very long time. And he suggested like mixing things around, like use the pizza blend on a hamburger one night, have the ranch blend on your wings one night. Like there's, there's thing, there's no rule that says you have to use spices in a certain way. Just use it enough to give you some variety and, and mix and match and have fun with it. Really enjoy it. Absolutely. I agree with the select savory seasonings. There's one that he puts out, which is a great Greek gyro. And maybe people want me to say hero, but I'm going to say gyro. Um, Great Greek seasoning, which is fantastic on things that you would never think that it would go on. You know, I put that on pork belly and it's phenomenal. It's really terrific. I just bought some pork belly. No weird ingredients. (laughs) put it on there. It's like heaven. That's awesome. Wow. Okay. Um, I think this might be my last question from you. Uh, Supplements, supplementation. What things should people be thinking about as far as supplementation goes? Well, to be honest with you, there's really not much required when you're on a carnivore diet. The things that I tell people they may need are sodium, potassium, and magnesium. Um, Those are the those are the kind of essential supplements that I would say, you know, have them on hand. Um, we're all sort of lacking in magnesium. I use one that's like a liquid magnesium and I put a few droppers in, in water and take it that way. Um, potassium is sort of an occasional thing for me and salt is an everyday thing. But if I'm fasting, I use those three things in water um, just to keep me going through uh, water fast. So those three. Mm. There are some people transitioning to a carnivore diet who may need additional digestive supplementation, things like ox bile or HCL. You know, if you've been on some proton pump inhibitors, you've got low stomach acid. Um, think people. There are definitely people who could benefit from some digestive supplements, but 
you know, probably you should speak with somebody who's trained in that arena. Um, so you make sure you're not wasting your money and just sort of throwing darts at the board um, before you buy any supplements like that. Yeah. That's it. There's really not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel that, that there are a lot of people who think, you know, to get healthy, they've got to go to the, you know, vitamin department in the drugstore and stock up on supplements to get healthy. But a lot of what we need is right there in the meat. Like it's pretty much right there in the meat. You're going to be just fine. Um, Electrolytes are, you know, important. Sometimes I've had clients who say, I'm doing really great on my electrolytes. I make sure I'm getting in, you know, however many teaspoons of this and that and this and that a day, but I'm having trouble. I'm up all night. Like I have to go to the bathroom up all night. What's going on? And then I'm so thirsty. So I just keep adding in more electrolytes. And I, you know, I said, well, this is your issue. Like you're chasing those electrolytes. You're drinking, drinking, drinking so much water. And you're thirsty, thirsty, because you're peeing out all that water and all your electrolytes. And you're eating so much, you know, you're supplementing so much with electrolytes that's making you thirsty. You're in this terrible cycle. So cut it out. Yeah. You know, stop, stop with all the electrolytes <laughs> supplementing and you'll balance out eventually on your own. Yeah. Like I said, potassium is sort of occasional when I feel like, oh, I'm a little tired. I've got a headache coming on. A quarter teaspoon of potassium is going to take care of that for me. And it's typically just, that's what I'm, I'm missing. Mm. Yeah. Our mutual friend, Scott Mazinski has some hilarious, um, (laughs) misadventures with salt and water, like grams and grams and grams of salt and sodium (laughs) a day. And like, (laughs) it's pretty hilarious. (laughs) It's funny, right? You end up just chasing those electrolytes right down the toilet. (laughs) Yep. That's exactly what he did. (laughs) That's exactly what he did. Yeah. That's a great answer. I think getting salt right is the most important thing. And after that, I just, I would want somebody to have a reason, like, tell me why you're taking this. And if you have a good reason, then great. And if not, you probably don't need it. And somebody's probably making a buck if you buy it. Right. Mm. I agree with you. Mm. So my last question for you is um, for people who are worried about the cost of doing a meat-based diet, a carnivore diet, meat is so expensive, right? So how can they possibly afford this? They say, oh, I, I just don't, I can't afford this. This is not in my budget. What can I do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I will say that some meats literally are more expensive right now. And I have noticed just in the last few months that the fluctuations on prices, it's just like absolutely bananas. Like a brisket that I buy, um, from a local store, it it has varied like three times in the last three times that I've been there, even in the same bin, there's two side by side that are exactly the same that have different price, price rates on them. Um, this is hands down by far the lowest, amount of money I have ever spent on food, period. We spend maybe a few bucks a day on food and that's it. And I mean, we'll just be really pragmatic about it. And I would encourage anybody to just, you know, think about the meats that you really enjoy. How, how are you going to make it less expensive? Well, you could wait until it goes on sale. You could maybe not focus so much on the quote unquote quality of the meat and just buy what you can afford. Um, eggs are not expensive. Start with some conventional eggs. If you don't like the taste and you want to try, you know, better quality, then go for it. Most of the labels on those things are, are basically meaningless anyway. It's not like cage free means these chickens are like roaming around the countryside and eating bugs and whatever they're supposed to be. Like it really doesn't tell you that much. I, I, I personally, like there's a, there's a farm that's, that's near my house and I love them. I love supporting them. They do a lot of really great work. I can't have their meat. Whatever taste 
is on, on the meat. I've tried different cows. They are 100% grass fed. I can't do the taste. I tried cooking it every which way and I can't do it, but I love basic ground beef that the least expensive kind I can find with the highest fat content for burger patties. And that's, that, that's my food. Like that's like two bucks a pound where I am. Like there's ways that you can make this extremely inexpensive. Another thing I will say is a lot of people don't consider how much food they waste. We never waste food. We always just have the right amount of food all the time. Food doesn't go bad around here. Like when I, you know, every Wednesday, the recycling and the garbage comes, I take my recycling out weekly. I might take my garbage out monthly. And that's not like exact proof, but it, that, that wasn't the case in the past. And we would throw tons and tons of food away at the end of the week. And so I think this is a diet that you can make as inexpensive as you like. You could eat really satiating foods, usually less frequently because you're not that hungry anymore. And I, we have found you can spend your money elsewhere for sure. But I would love to know your thoughts on that. Well, I agree with you. It, to me, it's the same thing. And I see in my house, the waste, because I live with people who aren't carnivore. And I just this morning threw away a bag of Brussels sprouts, you know, and it was like, you know, it's a few dollars for a bag of Brussels sprouts and they rot in my vegetable drawer and then they get thrown away. And I could have spent those, you know, $3 on an entire pound of ground beef. Like you said, it's very inexpensive. Those nutrients don't go to waste. So if you want to talk about nutrient per dollar, the carnivore diet, like meat is where it's at. Like you can't get that kind of nutrition. You aren't going to get even those, if you're going on a calorie per calorie basis, you're not going to get those calories for that little money with this amount of nutrients in it. So I think that, you, you know, yeah, I have seen what you saw recently in the case where the same cut of meat was priced two different ways, depending on the day that they packaged it. Um, and it was a $3 difference actually on some wow. strip steaks. I was shocked. And it was, you know, one was packed on a Tuesday, one was packed on a Wednesday. And it wasn't that it was on sale. It's just the prices are all over the place right now. But if you do go for things that are on sale and you go for those, um, go for the ground beef and the eggs, like you said, it can be very affordable. And the same thing, I mean, I don't throw away meat. I don't throw away eggs, but I'll tell you what, I do throw away a lot of clementine oranges that my son <laughs> doesn't eat and they dry out in the bottom drawer. So there's just no food waste. Um, and when, there's also no beverage cost, which I love. Mm, yeah. There's, you know, growing up, we went through gallons and gallons of orange juice, which <laughs> if you, you know, it's just incredible how expensive those, you know, like a Tropicana orange juice can be. And what were we paying for? Sugar water and all the plastic that comes with it. And why do we need that as a beverage, right? Just drink the water that comes to your house that, you know what I mean? It's, it's very, it's very silly that, that people are, you know, purchasing beverages when, you know, the water's right there for you. It comes to all of us. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I'm just thinking about those Brussels sprouts and everybody, you know, wants to get pissed at us and, you know, raising meat and things like that, the cost of the environment. Think about those Brussels sprouts, like start to finish. Where did they come from? When did they come from? How are the employees treated? How are they shipped to however, where, how long did they sit before they even shipped? Like there's a huge impact that those things have just to be, go to fill a landfill. Right. It's an absolute waste. It's not fresh cuts of meat. Like that stuff is not what's being left over. What's left over are these fruits and vegetables and things that are just like rotting. It's a lot of agricultural waste. And there are a lot of inputs. And when it goes to waste, when it goes 
to a landfill, um, the, nobody benefits from that. Totally agree. It just doesn't happen with meat. The meat gets eaten. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. We notice that around here 100%. Wow. This has been a blast. <laughs> I knew this was going to be fun, but I've had a really great time talking with you. We would be horrible politician debaters. We agree on way too many things. Um, <laughs> we're just like, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. We'd be terrible at politics. <laughs> um, I want to tweak the last question that I normally ask, and I'm going to ask you specifically. I, I, it was just something I was kicking around earlier today, and I, I want to know, like, You've you've done this for a while now. You've seen a lot of people. You've worked with a lot of people. You've responded to a lot of people graciously with your time. Have you have you, first of all have you ever seen eating this way cause somebody harm? And then the second part of that, have you ever seen eating this way like not work? Did somebody ever try to move in this direction as strict as they wanted to be, as, as liberal as they wanted to be and go down this path a ways and say, wow, this sucks. I want to go back to being a vegan. Have you ever witnessed that? That's funny. I have not. I mean, I have had clients sort of fall away and they just, you know, they don't contact me back. They say, I'm going to try. And, and then I know that they're really not. So I think that there are definitely people who don't stick with it, you know, for sure. I've never had a client say to me, I'm doing all the things and I'm feeling a lot worse. You know, if they say to me, I'm doing all the things, but I'm not feeling any benefits, then we can talk about maybe what things need to be tweaked. But I've never heard of or been involved in a case of somebody switching to a carnivore diet and saying, you know what, I just felt way better eating plant-based and vegan. Like, no, I've never had that. Um, typically people are so thankful for finding this other way of eating and for learning that a carnivore diet is healthy for them because their mental health, first of all, when you switch from like a vegan diet to a nutrient-dense meat-based diet, the, the mental improvements are so tremendous I don't know that anybody ever does that experiment where they go vegan, they come back to eating meat, and then they decide to go back to vegan again. I don't, I've never heard of a single, you know, like we always hear about celebrities um, going vegan, and sometimes we hear about them coming back, but we never hear about them going back to vegan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never have either. And I, I, you said it twice, heard of, not just heard, not just worked with, but heard of somebody through the grapevine. Like if you're listening and this is you like reach out so that we know about you and I I would love to hear your experience, but like, yeah, I, I have not come across anybody who is willing to go down this path that ever said it was a complete waste. I don't like it. I want to go back. They've taken at least something. And, you know, we're so accustomed to saying, um, you know, not every diet works for everybody, but it's, it's getting to the point that this is working for a lot of people. And I wish more people would try. I agree. I do. I hate to agree. Should I disagree? I'll disagree. Yeah, please. I disagree. No, I do agree that people should absolutely give it a try. I mean, if anybody out there is listening and they're plant-based and they think this is all crazy, they think they, they feel great. Maybe give yourself some more time and you're not, you won't be feeling so great. Or maybe you could feel even better and, you know, give it a try and and see if you can feel that difference. I know I feel so much better. And the people that I've worked with, 
they feel so much better doing this. Mm. We, I'm just going to have to end it on that. That was so well said. I love it. Linda Salant, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show today and share your expertise and have a really fun conversation. Where would you like people to go to find you? Well, typically, and thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's always fun to talk to you. I love it. And this has been great fun. Um, typically, people can find me on Instagram. I'm always there to answer questions. Just send me a message. Um, that's the best place. I'm always there. Awesome. It's that's the good. Carnitarian. Carnitarian. Yep. The Carnitarian on Instagram. What, a, what an amazing amount of um, information you've acquired. And again, we're so grateful for you that you would come onto the show and share your wisdom and have a really light, fun conversation. I really hope this helps the listener out there to you know think about how they want to construct this. Um, we'll have to set up a third episode at some point and let's do, let's do politics. Let's make sure we cover religion. If you'd like, I would love to yeah, talk let's get into vaccines. It. I would love to talk. Um, we need to duke it out. <laughs> this would be great. A little bit more conflict. Linda Salant. Thank you so much. The Carnitarian. Thank you for coming onto our show and sharing your wisdom and knowledge. We are so grateful for you and your work. It was my pleasure. You're welcome. And thank you. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. 